the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. We know it to be true because we believe the Bible to be true if you're a Christian. But even outside of the Bible, there are historical references and sources. Not that we need other sources to validate what we believe to be true, but especially for those who are skeptics who would argue that the only reason you believe the Bible is because the Bible is its only source of truth. But the resurrection and the life and the ministry and the death and the miracles of Jesus are recorded by outside historical sources, those that I just named to give example. Have you ever heard someone claim that the only reason Christians believe the Bible is because they only use the Bible as a source for truth? Not only is this demeaning, but it ignores the fact that the Bible is actually supported by external sources. As Pastor Gary will teach you in his message today, the resurrection of Christ is mentioned by many historical figures. In his study, you'll be reminded that while we don't need external sources for our faith, they definitely help when evangelizing. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Last week, we finished the first part of chapter 15, which dealt with the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, what Paul mentions in the first few verses of chapter 15, I'll summarize in three points. The resurrection of Jesus is historic fact, it is central to our faith, and it is unique to Christianity. It is historic fact, even though we read of it in the Bible uh, the, the life, ministry, miracles, death, and resurrection of Jesus is not exclusively recorded in the Bible. It is also recorded historically by different authors of the first, second, and third centuries. For example, Josephus, Tacitus, Suetonius, Pliny the Younger, Ignatius, Irenaeus, and Clement of Alexandria, to name a few, record in their writings in the first, second, and third centuries about the life, ministry, miracles, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We know it to be true because we believe the Bible to be true if you're a Christian. But even outside of the Bible, there are historical references and sources. Not that we need other sources to validate what we believe to be true, but especially for those who are skeptics, who would argue that the only reason you believe the Bible is because the Bible is its only source of truth. But the resurrection and the life and the ministry and the death and the miracles of Jesus are recorded by outside historical sources, those that I just named to give example. And I'll quote to you specifically from Josephus in his first century writing. Now, Josephus was a Jew 
who was hired by the Roman government to give an unbiased record of history. He was not a believer in Jesus as Messiah. But listen to what he wrote in his his work, Antiquities, volume 18, chapter 3, and section 3. He said this, quote, About this time came Jesus, a wise man, if indeed it is appropriate to call him a man. For he was a performer of paradoxical feats, a teacher of people who accept the unusual with pleasure, and he won over many of the Jews and also many Greeks. He was the Christ. When Pilate, upon the accusation of the first man amongst us, condemned him to be crucified, those who had formerly loved him did not cease to follow him, for he appeared to them on the third day, living again, as the divine prophets foretold, along with a myriad of other marvelous things concerning him. And the tribe of the Christians, so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. End quote. So this is a, what we call an extra-biblical historical account of the resurrection of Jesus as recorded by Josephus in the first century. And Paul establishes the fact that the resurrection of Christ was real, it was historical, it is central to our faith. First few verses of chapter 15 here, he says, if Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith is in vain, our preaching is in vain, work for God is in vain, it's all useless. But he says, indeed, Christ has been raised from the dead, therefore none of these things are in vain. And the resurrection of Christ is unique to Christianity in that no other world religion makes the claim that their leader or guru rose from the dead. This is what distinguishes Christianity above all other world religions. Muhammad is dead, Confucius is dead, Gandhi is dead, Gautama Buddha is dead. They are all dead and buried and their ashes scattered or, or having been cremated or enshrined or entombed. But no one makes the claim except Christianity and Jesus himself that he rose from the dead and then he ascended back into heaven where he is right now at the right hand of the Father and the Bible says he is coming again. Amen? Amen. Now, Paul builds on this and he says, okay, because Christ indeed has risen from the dead, he says, now you have hope and I have hope in having a resurrected body ourselves when we have faith in Christ. And so this is where we left off now here in chapter 15, starting at verse 35. And I'm going to read down through verse 50 and then then we'll come back because now the next section here is about the resurrection body in general. He's now going to talk about our glorified bodies that we're going to get in heaven, our resurrected bodies. And so it begs the question, what will we look like in heaven? What will we look like in heaven? I guarantee you better than what you look like now. All right, I don't have all the answers for you, but I guarantee one thing, we're all going to look significantly better than what we look now. All right, so it's good. And even if you think you look good, you're getting better. It's going to be even better. It's, it's going to be incredible. But anyway, <laughs> let's look here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. Paul says, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body will they come? How foolish. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, 
and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, circle that, and there are earthly bodies, circle that. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Now, this is a reference to Jesus. He's considered the last Adam. A life-giving spirit. The spiritual does not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. All right, let's pause there for a moment. There's a lot there. And so I just want to digest some of these things that he's talking about. And, and I think the best way to do this is to kind of just graph it out on a chart He talks here in verses 40 and 41. He uses the terms earthly body and heavenly body. He says that there is an earthly body that we receive when we are born because just like Adam, the first Adam, we are created out of the dust. So we have a physical frame, a physical body. And he says, but then the last Adam, that is Christ, a reference to the one who undid you know, the curse, because Adam, because of his sin and rebellion, uh, a, a curse fell upon the human race. So Jesus, in that sense, is considered the last Adam who undoes the curse by his death on the cross. He takes on the punishment intended for us. And so there's a glorified body that Jesus got when he rose from the dead. That's the first part of chapter 15. And Paul segues now into this next section of chapter 15 by telling us that you also who know Christ are going to get a similar spiritual body, a heavenly body like what Christ got when he rose from the dead. And so he begins to make some comparisons here. If you'll notice again, back in verses 42 and 43, I'll just read again, where he says, so will it be by the res- with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. So he, t- he starts talking here in terms of contrasts. He says, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. So I just kind of took those four different sections and I just kind of wrote it out separately so we can kind of just see together uh, the difference between the earthly body that we have been given upon natural birth and the body that we're going to get when we go to heaven. And the first thing that he says here is that the earthly body is susceptible to decay. That's what he means here when he says that the body that is sown is perishable. 
And now he says sown because he says before you can get the glorified body, that which is sown has to die. That's what he said back up in verse 36. He says, uh, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So he says, the only way you're going to get a glorified body is if you die. Now, there's an exception to that that he's going to add here in the rest of chapter 15. We'll get to in a moment. But otherwise, for the majority of people, the only way you're going to get a glorified body is if you know Christ and you die. And when you die, this physical frame is going to go back into the ground and it's just going to become dust again. I heard the story about this preacher who was preaching about how, you know, we're from dust we are created into dust we shall return. And so he's, he's doing this really pounding of the pulpit sermon about how we're all but dust. And this little girl turns to her mom and says, mom, what is but dust? <laughs> you and me, that's what we are. <laughs> but dust. We actually are the same 17 chemical elements as dirt, hydrogen, oxygen, and 15 other trace elements. That is the human body. From dust we were created and to dust we shall return. When we die, we will return to dust. Natural decomposition takes about 30 years to return to dust. If you're cremated, it takes about 30 minutes. Take your pick. Some people have asked me, you know, is cremation wrong? It's just a quicker process, friends. But you're still going to dust either way. It really doesn't matter. But we will return to dust, and it will be then that we get this glorified body. Now, initially when everybody dies, okay, your spirit goes immediately to heaven. There's a day, however, when your bodies will rise from the grave, glorified, much like when Jesus rose from the dead, and will be reunited with your spirit that is in heaven so that your spirit can receive a glorified body that will never perish, just like Jesus's. So Paul starts out by saying here, meantime, our earthly body is susceptible to decay. We are all in the process of aging. We are all in the process of decomposition. Okay? From the moment you're born, the process of aging begins until we eventually decompose. But in contrast, the heavenly body is imperishable. In fact, he'll use the word immortal in verse 53 a little bit later in the chapter because the glorified body will never die. It is imperishable. The other thing that he says here in verse 43 is that the earthly body is dishonorable. The heavenly body is glorified. Now, dishonorable, it can translate without dignity or shame, and especially in comparison to a glorified body that we're going to get. It will pale in comparison, so it will be without dignity, it will be dishonorable. Our new body, our heavenly body will be glorified. He also says in verse 43 that the earthly body presently is weak. I don't care how much you can bench press. I mean, there's a limitation to everybody's ability to be strong, and eventually that declines too, like everything else. But the heavenly body is powerful, he says here. And then he uses the words natural and spiritual again in verse 44 as another way of saying earthly and heavenly. One body is natural, our physical body, and the, the heavenly body is spiritual. So this is what he speaks of. Now, you know, Jesus preached about the resurrection of the dead. When he went to the tomb of Lazarus, his good friend, And he raised Lazarus from the dead. Before he did so, he said to Mary and Martha, his sister, Lazarus' sisters, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now that sounds, you know, like a a mixture of some words there. What do you mean, he who believes in me, though he lives, shall he die, and whoever dies will always live? And what he's talking about is that there there will come a day when we will physically die, but the but the spirit will live forever, and then we get this glorified body on top of it, so that we're not always hanging around like some spirit realm, some spirit force. There's a physical body that we will get. Now, there's a key verse here, if if you'll notice verse 49, actually, where he says that we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. When he starts talking about the difference between the first Adam and the second Adam, uh, he, he mentions about the second Adam being a reference to Jesus, that we shall bear the likeness of this man from heaven, that Jesus gets a glorified body and we will have the same kind of glorified body as Jesus did. Now, this is an important verse that allows us then to go outside of 1 Corinthians and to see from the Gospels and from the epistles what this might mean for us. Now, this is not the only place that this is spoken of. Paul would say in Philippians 3.21 that Jesus will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body, which means when you take what Paul says here in chapter 1549 and what he adds in Philippians 321, that another way of just kind of saying it pretty succinctly is our heavenly body will be like Jesus's heavenly body. So then the question becomes, well, what was Jesus's heavenly body like? When he rose from the dead, he appeared on earth for another 40 days before he ascended into heaven. So when you study the gospel accounts and you begin to realize, well, what were some of the differences about Jesus post-resurrection compared to before he rose from the dead? What does that mean for us? Because if Paul clearly states here that our glorified bodies is going to be like Jesus' glorified body, what does that mean for us? So for you note takers, here are four bullet points about what this means for us. This much we can at least understand from the scriptures, and there's probably a whole lot more that we just don't understand that we will when we are there. But one thing that we can understand is that our heavenly body will be a physical body of flesh and bone, not a ghost. Not a ghost. Okay, the glorified body will be a body of flesh and bone. And I gave you the reference there of Luke 24, 39, because this is when Jesus appears to his disciples after he rose from the dead. And Luke 24, 39, Jesus says this, look at my hands and my feet. He's showing them the marks of his crucifixion. He says, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. There's an interesting twist on the words here. Jesus says, notice my flesh and bones. He does not say flesh and blood. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, you might have noticed in verse 50 that Paul says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. One of the unique things, apparently, about our physical glorified bodies will be the absent blood. We will not have blood. We will not need blood. Our bodies will be glorified at a state where it will still be of a physical substance, of a physical material, and it will have flesh and bone, but it will lack the blood. 
It distinguishes the glorified body from the natural body, the heavenly body or the spiritual body from the earthly body. The other thing that we learn about Jesus's body, and this is, this is pretty cool, I like this one, is that we will be able to travel unrestricted by space or matter. Now, in John 20, I gave you the references there. This is when it tells us when Jesus appeared to his disciples. It says not just once, but twice in John 20, verse 19, and then again in verse 26. I'll read both verses. Listen to what it says. Verse 19 of John 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then a few verses down, verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So in John 20, it mentions two different occasions when Jesus appears to his disciples. The first occasion in verse 19 is on the first day when he rose from the dead. Verse 26 is a week later, but on both occasions, The writer here wants us to make sure we understand. John says, the doors were locked. He says it twice. The doors were locked and suddenly Jesus stood among us. What does it mean? That Jesus was not restricted to space and matter. He could pass through doors. He could pass through walls. Now, I would normally add here, we won't be restricted to space, matter, or time. Because when we go to heaven, we're going to be outside of the time-space continuum. But just comparing Jesus, when Jesus walked on earth, he was still restricted within the time-space continuum. So time was still a factor for him, but space and matter were not. I think it's safe to say, however, that once we leave this earth and we go to be with the Lord, we will not be restricted by space, matter, or time, just as the Lord is not today either. But strictly comparing apples to apples, when we see Jesus in his resurrected form, when he walked the earth, he was able to walk through doors, he was able to go through walls, he was able to peer here, appear there, and he had no problem passing through things. So that's going to be an awesome ability. Won't that be absolutely awesome to just be, you know, transported from here to there and to go through something and not be restricted anymore to, you know, matter and space. So that's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, One of the other things that we see here, oh, it gets even better, friends. Oh, some of you are going to like this next point. I know I do. We're going to be able to eat, but for pleasure, not survival. (laughs) For pleasure, not survival. Now, we see Jesus eating after he rose from the dead, Luke 24, 41 to 43. This is what it says. When he appears to his disciples in Luke 24, 41, it says, and while they still did not believe, Because of joy and amazement. They were like so overwhelmed. They're like, is this real that he's risen from the dead? Jesus asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And it says they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, Paul has already established for us in 1 Corinthians 15 that the glorified body is imperishable. It is immortal. You don't need food to survive. So if Jesus is eating, but he doesn't need food to survive then it must mean that when we get a glorified body, we eat for pleasure, but we don't have to eat for survival. You're going to be able to eat whatever you want, and it won't stick. All those things you've been denying yourself, you're going to be able to eat. 
You're going to be able to enjoy. Oh, it'll be so wonderful. It won't kill you. It won't make you sick. It won't make you fat. It won't, it won't swell your face or your joints. You'll all be gluten-free. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the book of 1 Corinthians. The issues and situations that Paul was addressing in this letter to the Corinthian church are the same issues that churches face today. It's bold and courageous that Paul faced those things head on, and it would be negligent for churches today to not do the same. Despite the idolatry and sin that was running rampant in this culture, Paul encouraged the believers to be a light that shines in a dark world. You can be this today in the dark world that surrounds you. Be a light that glows brilliantly and stands out against the dark blanket of sin that surrounds you. If you're ever in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45, or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to hear your story and how you came to know about the radio ministry of Cornerstone Connection. Find out more details, such as where we're located, at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the book of 1 Corinthians, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go. But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Hope is an open ocean Jump in and you'll find the cornerstones Your connection run towards your new Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.